we were only in London at that time. And so uh, we thought uh, we need to expand beyond London to the rest of the UK. There's a lot of demand. We didn't know anything about branding and marketing. We didn't really see the value of branding and marketing at that time. And for us, it was very much, um, can we create the proposition and the product? Then the year after, we grew from uh, 60 to 600. So faster, but still, it wasn't a very uh, fast growth. My guest today is Emily Van Poppering, who is the CEO and co-founder of Oddbox. In the UK alone, over 3 million tonnes of fruit and veg is wasted before it even leaves the farms. This is because it's either too big, too dinky, or because there's too many. And when food goes to waste, so does all the energy, water, and time that went into growing it. Emily co-founded Oddbox back in 2016 to fight food waste. And on the show today, we talk about the two years of bootstrapping before successfully crowdfunding over 529,000. We talk about the two rounds of funding that brought in over 19 million from VCs. We talk about growth pre and during COVID. Emily explains how they went from 20 to over 3 million box subscriptions. I found out why the website was taken down for over two months during COVID to handle the surge in demand. And we talk about expanding outside of London. I'm your host, Mark McDonough, and welcome to the UKTN podcast. Our sponsors of the show, Uncapped, believe it's crazy that for e-commerce businesses to fund growth through marketing, infantry or hiring, they have to sell equity to VCs, especially when they know they'll make that money back right away. Uncap solved that problem. Already helping over 500 businesses worldwide, they offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales, no dilution or loss of control. Founders simply apply online, receive a decision within 24 hours and make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Now let's get into the show. We co-founded Oddbox in 2016. Actually, the story started in Portugal when we visited a food market which was filled with wonky fruit and veg. So when you go to mainland Europe... Uh, actually, um, you tend to uh, uh, shop at the local market and you find amazing variety of fruit and veg and things that you wouldn't find in um, UK supermarkets. And that kind of uh, reminded me to the time when I came to the UK and uh, actually the shock that I had of seeing everything available all year round but uh, strawberries in winter don't really taste that great. And uh, at that time, I kind of uh, thought it's a bit weird, but really, really didn't look uh, too much into it. But then when we went to Portugal, I thought, um, it's I, I need to understand more. And that's really kind of when we started doing more research into the food system. And that's when we discovered uh, actually the extent of, uh, of food waste. And... Um, and then I came across a campaign by a French supermarket around uh, ugly fruit and veg. And I thought, uh, that's amazing that people are willing to buy this ugly fruit and veg. And there's probably uh, uh, some demand of people who want to do something uh, for the planet. And then um, uh, we did some more research and found two startups in the US who had started something very similar to Outbox. And so when I looked uh, at whether something like that existed in uh, in London, uh, I couldn't find anything. So I thought, uh, 
if it's worked in the US, uh, it probably will work in the UK. Why not try? And that's why uh, for, for us, it was very much of uh, when we started, we started a small six weeks trials with 20 customers, half of which were our friends. And it was uh, just to see um, uh, are people willing to uh, uh, to go over cosmetic uh, specifications and look over imperfection and buy uh, produce which don't necessarily look as appealing as what you get in supermarket. Were you charging your friends or were you giving it to them for free at the start? No, we were charging them. Actually, we uh, so we thought there's no point doing it for free because obviously everybody will want it for uh, free. Uh, to really see whether there's proper demand, we need to charge. So actually, people had to pay uh, for six weeks upfront. And when when you started, did you, because I know you were working full time um, whilst you started this, did you put any money into into this? Did you have savings that you invested in the company or or was it a complete and utter bootstrap? It was, com- so we had a bit of our own money, but actually we did in a, we did it in a very bootstrapped way. So uh, we didn't do any branding. Um, we did the website ourselves. Um, so that costs uh, nothing. We were doing the photos ourselves. So our boxes were just cardboard boxes that we had ordered off uh, the internet. We uh, made some stickers with the logo. We paid 20 pounds for our logo on Fiverr. So it was very much the approach of, and I guess because our background is more in finance um, and we didn't know anything about branding and marketing, we didn't really receive the value of branding and marketing at that time. And for us, it was very much, um, can we create the proposition and the product? Can we show that people will buy it? And then actually we can refine how it looks. So what what made you decide that this was going to work? Like, when did you first realize that this was a winner and that, we, that people uh, so weren't interested we in it? Uh, at, at the start, we didn't really uh, uh, think. Uh, so we never thought uh, we are going to build uh, a big business. So I've met some, some young entrepreneurs who um, uh, I speak to them and they, they have like that big vision for the, uh, the companies that they are going to build. And um, they already think about raising investment before having um, kind of something to uh, something tangible for us it was very much uh, we uh, so we've got a corporate background so we didn't know anything about fundraising we didn't know anything about the uh, startup space and and so it was um, we started on the side first of all it wasn't we were not planning to uh, start really a company it was just a small project on the side and it kind of grew because we saw that um, when we were talking to people, they thought, oh, yeah, that's an amazing idea, um, really keen to support that, really keen to buy in a different way. And also it, it was nice because we were learning a lot about the produce industry, a lot about um, the issue, talking to growers, really understanding the challenges that they face day in, day out growing produce. And for us, it was also kind of a way of sharing that with other people. So a big part of Outbox from the start was, uh, so we would email people um, with what was in the box, where the produce come from. Then very early on, we started with putting a letter that actually are um, head of operations, which joined as an intern 
uh, on, on uh, two days a week, uh, mm. was writing and is still writing. So, which was kind of um, uh, giving stories about the industry, about uh, how uh, macroeconomics factors impact uh, the produce sector, and that was really a big part of the proposition. So, we were not just uh, um, selling fruit and veg; we were just uh, um, selling as well as well all of the content and people feeling part of that journey with us absolutely and and i know am i right by saying that it was 2018 before you you did your first round and um, so you you had from 2016 to 2018 was you know growing it yourself and building it up so the, the first round of of money that you raised was it crowdfunding or or was it an investment Yes, so it was a mix of angel and crowdfunding because obviously um, people think you can just go on a crowdfunding campaign and raise all the money from uh, from the public. That doesn't work like that. You need to have raised at least uh, 50 or actually 70, 80% from uh, angel investors before. Um, and then you go on the crowdfunding platform and then uh, quickly you overfund and that kind of looks like you've raised really, really quickly when actually you've done uh, six months of work uh, up front. And so, uh, for, so for us, actually, uh, the light bulb moment was uh, so in... And it was, it was hard. 2016, 2017 was hard. So 2016, we started uh, in uh, May um, with 20 customers. At the end of the year, we only had 60 because obviously uh, our operations were uh, not uh, slick at all. So we lost quite a few customers along the way because we had quality issues, we had delivery issues. Then the year after, we grew from uh, 60 to 600. So faster, but still it wasn't a very uh, fast growth. Um, and so uh, 2017, we um, we actually spent Christmas in France and we met uh, one of my cousins who uh, was an entrepreneur and we were talking about Outbox and he said, oh, it's, it's amazing what you've done already, the traction you have without um, having raised an investment. You're at a stage where you should uh, consider it. And we had started uh, being part of uh, an incubator and being amongst other entrepreneurs. And then that's when we realized, yes, maybe actually we can accelerate our growth by raising investment. So 20, uh, the start of 2018, we put a business plan together. We reached out to actually uh, an organization which helped us identify impact in angels and uh, and we got uh, some commitment from angels. And that's when, after that, we, we had always thought that crowdfunding was uh, a good idea because at that time we had like uh, just over a thousand customers. And so um, we knew that uh, people uh, would be keen to support us. And we were also keen to kind of, uh, actually have our community be, be a bigger part of our journey and actually be more invested in what we were doing. You said you had a thousand customers when you were going for crowdfunding, was it? Yes. And I, I'm always interested to hear when it comes to crowdfunding, because you're right, you know, you need to have at least 50 or 60 percent of that closed before before it goes live. So as others see the, the you know, the, the speed of the of the funding coming in and they jump on the bandwagon as such. Um, when you when you closed the, the crowdfunding, did you uh, did you generate a lot of new customers that 
were investors, if you get me. So like they see they saw yeah. you on Crowdcube, they they invested. Did then they did they then become customers, I should say, uh, of uh, Oddbox? A few of them, but actually we had more of our customers investing than uh, investors becoming customers. So 50% of the funds we raised were um, uh, actually from customers. So the money you raised there was 529000 Yep. What? And half of that was angels, half was crowdfunding. And out of the crowdfunding, half were customers. What did that money allow you to do? So that allowed us to actually recruit a small team and really, so uh, we recruited a marketing director and uh, a marketing assistant and that allowed us to actually um, properly um, raise awareness about Outbox and drive traffic. Um, we uh, So we had somebody who helped us on a part-time basis, but uh, was still quite junior and we needed that real like, marketing expertise. So how many employees were there up to the time of, of crowdfunding? So we uh, we recruited five people after the crowdfunding. So it was still a, a relatively small team. Right, okay. And then I think it was your, your next round after that was was three million. In, in 2020, what, what, where were you at the stage of of um, raising this money? This this was was this directly from investors, or did you do a crowdfund again? No, it was from a, a venture capital trust. So it was more uh, a clique of uh, formal investors, institutional investors, um, and we thought uh, we want uh, somebody who understand our mission, is mission the line, but we also uh, would benefit from actually somebody who can put money now, but can follow on and can provide um, strategic advice where we thought we might it might be useful to have a formal board. So put a bit more governance than uh, what we had been having in the past. I, I always love hearing what um, some founders have done with a raise um, especially when they had been bootstrapping and, and going it alone for so long. Um, because, you know, you you obviously proved that there was a valuable business here. There were customers coming in. Uh, there was money coming in. And it's only then when you get something like the three million in funding that you're able to do so much with it because you value it so much. I'd love, I'd love to hear what you did with that three million that really made an impact on the growth of Oddbox. Yeah. So um, because we bootstrapped, we already, so we've always had kind of a very keen eye on profitability. So for us, it's always been about sustainable growth and in all uh, terms of, uh, all sense of the terms of, kind of uh, environmental as well as financial. And so, um, so we're quite efficient with how we've spe- we spend uh, funds. So even our marketing campaigns are very data-driven. So the 3 million actually, uh, so uh, we started uh, raising the 3 million in the uh, summer of 2019, received the fund uh, March 2020, just before the start of the pandemic. Uh, because we thought we would need uh, funds. Actually, we didn't uh, need the fund uh, for quite a big part of 2020 because we accelerated our growth so fast. And uh, so the funds were supposed to go um, 
So uh, quite a bit uh, towards marketing. And kind of, we were only in London at that time. And so uh, we thought uh, we need to expand beyond London to the rest of the UK. There's a lot of demand. So uh, we need to build that brand awareness. And, uh, and because we're a subscription business, it's all about acquiring the customers. And then we get the return on investment over, over several months. We had also, because we, we had been bootstrapping, we had been using a lot of off-the-shelf softwares, which actually were not uh, fit for purpose anymore for the kind of scale that we were reaching. So we knew that uh, we need to invest both in the front-end and back-end tech. So uh, still not completely uh, building our own, but actually doing some uh, customization uh, from off-the-shelf solutions and and actually moving off uh, spreadsheets. Um, so uh, so that was kind of the two big parts. Uh, and also we needed to kind of build the team. So in terms of data, we were not doing much on data. We needed to build a stronger uh, sourcing and operation team. So overall, we needed to put kind of a bit more investment in the team that we were building uh, to have kind of the right people ahead of what we needed. I'm going to come back to your your COVID growth, um, but before, like when you were um, closing that round that you closed in in early 2020, how many customers did you have on board at that stage? Um, so I think we had um, probably 20,000 customers. Right. Okay. Because like it, it's interesting when I, when I look at your website, um, you you obviously focus a lot on community. Um, which which is so important because when I was building a community with the startup van, we always put our followers first. And it was all about building the brand and brand awareness. And I'd love to know how important a role community pay played in the um, success of Oddbox. And um, because there's a lot of companies out there that that don't necessarily think of a community or they, they put a community second. So it's always business first, community second, where I think with you and certainly what we were doing, it was community first, um, product and service second. So I'd love to know how how important the community was to Oddbox growing and also how you how you organically built up that um, that community as well. Yeah, so I think when, so there's customer and there's community. So our community is obviously broader than our active customer base because we've got people who've been following Oddbox and actually the product don't necessarily fit their lifestyle, but they believe in the philosophy in, uh, in what we do. And, uh, and they are part of our community. They are people who were customers uh, and again dropped off because, um, it's, uh, the box requires uh, you know, um, a certain level of commitment. You receive produce that you don't necessarily uh, what know what they are, uh, know how to cook. Uh, you obviously need to be, uh, I would say, uh, relatively confident or uh, an adventurous cook to really make the most of Oddbox. And we kind of knew that uh, it, it wasn't necessary for everyone. And so for us, it's always been, um, it's not about... Uh, uh, the number of customers that we have, it's about, because we don't want to push waste in people's home. So, um, actually our second, uh, the second person we recruited was, uh, a customer, uh, happiness person. So, um, uh, 
And uh, we've always taken the approach of uh, if people could confine their box, we refund it. If they are not happy with their box, we refund it or give a discount or provide a replacement. So because there's so much growth that we've had, which has been from referral. And actually, uh, people at um, the dinner table talking about Outbox, talking about the joys that they have of opening the box with their children and saying it's like Christmas every day. And for us, it's always been really important. And actually, from very early on, we were doing um, interviews with uh, with our customers and going to uh, to their home uh, and uh, uh, asking them questions, filming them to really understand what was working, what was not working. I'd love to know what was the biggest learning from that. Like, did, was there anything that you took from? I'm sure there was lots that you took from your learnings there. But was there was there anything that stands out in your mind that you know? Because we we did it ourselves when growing community, which you know, there's lots of things that I thought the community and the following wanted. And it's only when we started asking the questions and doing market research um, and, and surveys that, you know, it took us down a different direction. So I'd love to know if there was something that, that really stuck out in your mind. So I think that there were a few things. So uh, that's when we realized that that letter that we were putting in the box was so important because that gave the uh, the opportunity for people to talk about Outbox beyond the fruit and veg, um, they had kind of, uh, a dinner conversation around um, that's how uh, the weather has impacted, uh, that's how a hailstorm uh, has impacted the apples. So that was kind of, uh, the stories from the farm were really, really important. What we realized is actually uh, the, both the product and the mission are just as important. So people will talk about the fact that uh, they love uh, fighting food waste with us, but actually, if the product, if the fruit and veg are not uh, good quality enough, if the fruit and veg are not what they are going to use, um, it's not going to work for them. So it's uh, so it's equally important to focus on making the product great. Uh, but that's kind of a given. People expect that the product will be great. And but they, they will talk about the uh, the mission. You had mentioned there as well that you closed the the round of funding in twenty twenty just as the start of the pandemic was was, was hitting. Um, with most businesses, that would have been like a blessing in disguise, where they closed around just on time because they needed to get through the hard time of COVID. Um, not every business suffered through through COVID, as we know. We've got some companies that really excelled. Um, I'm taking it that you had a lot of growth throughout COVID because, you know, there's more people at home, there's more people ordering online. Um, was was the, the 3 million in funding at that time a blessing? Um, because as I said, you did grow a lot throughout COVID. Did this allow you grow even more or was it just nice having that, that bit of money up your sleeve if and when you did need it? I think it was nice having that cushion. Um, we so we didn't need the uh, the money initially, but then we've needed it after that. So it, it avoided us having to raise um, during COVID when actually uh, 
we've so we've hugely benefited uh, from COVID, but it was the growth was quite unsta- unstable. So we've um, locked down, locked down release. Um, investors have been kind of a bit more wary of uh, investing in the space and wanting to see what's going to happen post COVID. So. Uh, in some ways, uh, uh, we're thinking, uh, yes, we raised at kind of a low valuation, which was based on uh, where we were at that stage and uh, our projections. Uh, obviously, we've um, uh, done uh, so much better than our projections, so we probably could have raised at a higher valuation. Um, but then uh, we didn't know at the time. So so how, how did you handle the growth? Like, wh- where did you really see things start to change um throughout covid you know because we all we all started you know acting differently as in like um as i said shopping online for so many more things and not necessarily out of choice but out of having to having to do it um so at what month did you really see the growth starting to come in and was it at this stage that your marketing really started to pay off or did a lot of your customers then since then everyone was searching for this did they just come across you uh, organically or was it a lot of your your paid marketing that worked so so actually we are so uh, we were early march and we were seeing um a lot of the retailers saying they didn't have any slots and for us we actually uh, were not seeing uh, any change in behavior and suddenly there was the announcement of the lockdown and within a week um we saw 10 times the traffic that we were experiencing uh, previously. Um, we had, and with just our existing customers, actually we almost doubled the number of boxes that we had to deliver because uh, people changed their frequency to uh, more weekly. Uh, some people ordered several boxes. We had one person order eight boxes uh, in one week. Uh, people upgraded to bigger boxes because everybody had to cook a lot more at home. And, and to your point, to your question, um, because we had done quite a lot of marketing, a lot of, so we had uh, some people who were searching for veg boxes, but actually a lot of people who joined Outbox at that time, the new customers were people who already knew about Outbox. Um, and, uh, didn't think, had not made, made that step of uh, trialing Outbox. So, so how did you handle the growth? Because, as I said, this would have happened at the beginning of lockdown, and it really has a knock-on effect because there's a lot of companies that can work remotely; doesn't affect them. Um, and then there's companies that obviously you've got a lot of packing and and posting and deliveries. Um, and then, as you said, you were you were nearly hit overnight with double double the capacity. So, did you struggle to find extra staff? Um, through through the beginning of this, or or how did you handle that? Yes, so the first thing we did was uh, we took our website down uh, because actually uh, we wanted to make sure that we could uh, service our existing customers well. So for us, it was very much our priority is um, we uh, we want to uh, grow, we want to take advantage of that huge increase in demand, but we need to do it right. So if we can't provide the right customer experience, then we're uh, we're just going to uh, get a one-off effect and actually it's going to damage our reputation uh, with people not getting the right experience. 
And we were lucky that um, we had been doing the parking in-house until November 2019. November 2019, we moved to, uh, we outsourced to a co-packer because we were running out of space. And uh, that co-packer was able to uh, scale um, to uh, with the demand, the increased demand that we were having. We also, like everybody else in uh, e-commerce, uh, we switched off all our marketing channels. So stopped uh, actually spending uh, anything on marketing because we were getting, we were seeing that the organic traffic uh, coming through. Um, and then we uh, creating a wait list so people could register on our wait list. And after, uh, so actually it took us three weeks to work with our co-packer, with our delivery partner to, and also to recruit more uh, customer service people to make sure that we could deliver the right experience. And then we reopened, uh, we did it in phases. So we contacted some people on the waiting list um, and allowed them to sign up, then more people. So uh, to have that gradual uh, increase and we uh, uh, we tripled uh, our uh, volume um, within a matter of two months. I know there's some listeners now listening to what you're saying there that can't get their head around um, you turning your website off and stopping your marketing when they're like completely fighting against the opposite. H- how long did you did you pull the website down for? A quick sponsor reminder. If you're looking to fund growth without having to give away equity, Uncapped solved this problem. To find out more, go to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN and to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. So... Uh, for I think for two months, but then after three weeks, we were allowing uh, people. So we were uh, sending people to our website, but uh, through emailing them. So uh, and and we were not the only one. Actually, a, a lot of uh, delivery companies uh, close their website for a lot longer. And some um, people actually managed it really well. So Mindful Chef, I think, uh, didn't close at all and they were able to uh, deliver a great experience uh, all through covid you you mentioned there like were you still at this time were you still only supplying london we were yes so the majority of people coming to your website or what before it went down and when you put it back up and even joining the waiting list would the majority of of those customers or potential customers would they um, were they from London or outside London? So mainly they were for, from London because we were we had always targeted our marketing on London. Uh, obviously, when people so, were searching organically for veg boxes, uh, we had uh, some people who were from outside, and so um, so we that helped us build as well some mailing lists. And actually, we at the start of uh, 2020, we had decided that we would expand to the rest of the UK. Um, and so we were working on that um, from the start of the year. How do you do that? I'd love to know how you how you decide where you're going to go next, because obviously you're, you're servicing London and looking after London. So so where is the next step? Is it is it another major city or is it the, the surrounding areas to London? How do you decide um, where to go? Yeah, so actually we changed the way we uh, we decided. So uh, we were working with a small delivery partner in London and um they didn't have the capacity to deliver outside of London. 
Um, and so uh, we looked at all the uh, uh, nationwide delivery partners and were in negotiation with one of them to actually deliver everywhere in the UK because uh, because they were nationwide and that allowed us um, to uh, to launch uh, everywhere in the UK. Uh, through COVID, they saw a lot of growth themselves and uh, they kind of... Um, uh, so we had negotiated the prices. Uh, they kind of um, came back to us with quite a steep price increase. Um, and whilst the team was still uh, planning through uh, that launch, at some point, the project manager came to us and said, uh, we've looked at the number. Uh, actually, we're going to make uh, to lose money if we launch uh, everywhere in the UK with that new uh, delivery cost. And so um, uh, we uh, so we had obviously several solutions of uh, we could increase prices to cover that additional delivery cost. Uh, it was during COVID, so it didn't feel right to increase prices. And so uh, we discussed it with our existing delivery partner who said, um, from, uh, from your delivery center in South London, Actually, I could deliver in the all of the southeast. So we pivoted to uh, uh, not delivering everywhere, in, not launching everywhere in the UK. We thought we're going to look at how we do um, the uh, the north, the midlands, the west later, um, late at a later stage. Let's focus on uh, launching in the uh, in the southeast. And uh, because. Uh, it's a small delivery partner. Uh, we actually launched only in uh, densely populated areas. So it's all about uh, how many boxes um, he can deliver in each area to make it work uh, financially. What Was that a little bit frustrating? Because, you know, you've got, say, the ability to deliver to the south, yet there might have been more demand further north. But you now can't service the demand because you're stuck to the demographic based on affordability and what you can deliver to and the, the new charges that were coming in. Was that a struggle or or did it just so happen that the south, uh, southeast or whatever it was you were, you were serving um, was a high demand area for Oddbox? So it, it was frustrating because uh, we are, our, our ambition had always been that we want to make uh, Oddbox available to everyone, and that was kind of the strategy that we had communicated to the team. So it was frustrated to kind of think, okay, well, uh, we are not able to uh, do it now. But then our approach has always been about uh, it's not growth at all costs. So actually, it felt a bit more in line with uh, with our ethos. And uh, um, and also we we kind of knew that uh, the demographics in the southeast was closer to London, and the uh, the southeast is a big market. Uh, actually, there's more demand in the southeast than um, there is in other parts of the UK. You also had a, a big raise in in 2021 of of 16 million. Um, I'd love to to hear a little bit more of you know where you were. At that at that point, because obviously you went through all all the growth of, of COVID, um, the value of the company has gone up, the demand has gone up. Um, I'd love to you know just get an understanding of of how that worked because you you will get a lot of investors that think that you know the the company is doing well because of COVID. What happens when we come out of lockdown? Is the is the growth going to still go up? So did you have 
a lot of questions around that or did they just see the growth and want it on board with the growth? No, we had a, we had a lot of questions about uh, what's our uh, what's the lifetime value of our customers, what's our retention, um, and there had been some lockdown releases in the summer of 2020. So we could see some of the behaviors, we could kind of predict some of the behaviors. Um, obviously, uh, there's been um, bigger behavior changes in 2021 with uh, the pub reopening with. Uh, people going back to offices. So we've seen kind of uh, quite a lot of shifts. And actually that raise in 2021 wasn't really a planned uh, one. So um, <laughs> so we uh, we knew we would need to raise uh, some money uh, probably towards the end of 21, early 2022. Um, but we were, we uh, just, uh, were, we had raised uh, in March, 2020. So, uh, we thought we had kind of more runway and we didn't need to look at the start of 2021. Uh, so that was a bit uh, less of a planned um, raise and more kind of actually um, finding an investor who's aligned uh, in terms of uh, our, our values, our mission, in terms of uh, our ambition uh, for for growth and impact and, uh, and was keen to support that. Uh, Bird of principal investors were were the investor that, yes. that put in the money, um, and I know that they have a, a foothold in in the food publishing space. Did, how 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 many investors did you, did you go through, if any, uh, before uh, they came on board? And the reason I ask is because you've got so many investors out there that are so excited about the the fintech space and everything tech, and they're looking for the the next Uber or the next whatever it might be is it difficult for you uh, uh, raising money as number one just being a, a non-fintech company were you were you up against that or or how did it work no it's uh it's not because uh, actually there's quite a lot of investors who are focused on d2c businesses who are focused on uh, impact uh, driven mission driven uh, businesses with very strong brands and by then we uh so we had built quite a good uh network of uh, of potential investors so uh through uh, because we had raised uh, in the past then uh, quite often we get approached by uh, VCs and PEs um to uh, who want to understand where we are going and uh, and so uh, we, for that round, actually, we didn't speak to uh, anyone else. Uh, we we could have, um, but it just uh, happened quite quite quickly. Actually, the uh, the funding round. Where are you now in terms of what areas do you so, uh, service in the UK? So we've expanded to cover close to seventy percent of the UK household. So uh, in uh, so in twenty we expanded to the southeast. Twenty one we expanded to the Midlands, to the north. Uh, we are going to launch in Scotland. Uh, we are looking at um, uh, northeast, uh, looking at uh, southwest. So, but again, we're taking that same approach of um, where does it make financial sense for us to uh, to deliver and actually we've expanded to more rural areas during 2021 because we've seen that um uh, that uh, there's enough demand enough and we can get enough penetration 
that that 16 million that you raised is that more to allow you to service these areas or is a lot of that still going into marketing and and constantly growing and again i'm sure it's both but where's the majority of that going so uh, so there's still a big amount which is going in uh, in marketing and brand awareness and actually we've we've done quite a lot of marketing we had never done um much uh, what is called as top of the funnel. So more of the brand awareness. And uh, uh, in September, we launched a tube and uh, bus campaign that we've uh, continued uh, uh, early this year. So in uh, January, February, March. And that's uh, actually working really well in terms of um, raising awareness of Outbox. So it's, uh, we've, we're doing quite a lot of leafletting as well. So there's a lot which is still going towards that, uh, marketing and brand awareness. Um, again, in terms of the tech, so it's, it's long project, but there's a lot of investment which is going towards that. And, um, and we're looking at, um, on the operational side, uh, at what point, uh, it's, it would might be right for us. Uh, to uh, potentially look at uh, uh, whether we need to bring some of the operations in-house. So we're not at that stage yet. Uh, so uh, at this stage, uh, uh, the funding is very much going towards marketing and tech. I'm sure you're aware that like nine and 10 startups fail in the first three years of business. Um, you've now been going five, six years. What do you think it is about Oddbox that managed to survive the the three year disaster, as we as we all know. Like, what do you think allowed Oddbox to, you know, escape the grips of the failure? So I think there's a part which is about uh, uh, we're riding a trend towards sustainability. So uh, uh, we're we launched at the right time when there's interest for what we do. So that's one part. I think we've been kind of, um, so our approach to uh, sustainable growth um, is a big part of our success of making sure that um, we keep a tight eye on uh, on cash. And then I would say kind of our focus on that customer experience. So it's not only the customer service, it's the overall customer experience of um what do we provide to our customer beyond the fruit and veg uh, to uh, because uh, fruit and veg is not necessarily a very exciting uh, product um but it's how do we kind of uh, make it a bit more exciting um how do we kind of uh, educate people or inform people about the realities of uh, the fresh produce industry of um, of cooking in a different way. So I think it's uh, that's that's a key part of uh, our success as well. So what's next for Oddbox? Like where where will we see you in in two years time? So uh, our, our frustration has uh, has always been that uh, so. Uh, to, for our model to work, we work with a lot of different suppliers because uh, obviously we can't only put potatoes in the boxes. So we need to have access to a good variety of uh, of produce and we're not able to take uh, all of the surplus that they have. So for us, it's, uh, it's that kind of uh, what else can we do 
with uh, the surplus we have access to. So looking at uh, range expansion. Uh, so um, and alongside that, we'll continue to uh, to expand uh, to other parts of the UK. Ah, great. Well, I've got one last question for you before we end. Yes. And then this is one that I, I ask all my guests. Um, what book? I'm taking it now that you read books. Um, what book has had the biggest impact on either you or the business? Um. So in terms of uh, people management, one book that I really liked is called Radical Candor. So it's about how to kind of uh, um, manage relationship with people in a way which is um, uh, very transparent, very open, and and actually uh, when something isn't working, being quite upfront about it, but in a way which is um, uh, very empathetic and uh, actually it's uh, how do we uh, make the relationship uh, work better? So, um, because it's always hard to have this difficult uh, conversation. Um, so that's especially especially uh, online now as well. Yes, yeah, that's that's been a, uh, that's actually been quite uh, a challenge, and we've spent a lot of time on our onboarding processes on kind of, uh, how do we make that that work well. Thank you for listening. Before you go, could you please take a moment to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast? I'd really appreciate the support. And remember, our sponsor, Uncapped, offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales. No dilution or loss of control. Apply online. Decision within 24 hours. Make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, Use the code UKTN10, that's UKTN10.